Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Ann Chavruta, Yerdena Asband, our daf of the day. Masacha Beitza, daf Yotet, page 19. So our daf um, provides us with the very end of the explanation of the, or the explanation on the very end of the Mishnah from, I guess now, two days ago. And that's the part that I want to pay attention to. It says, um, if you look at the daf on Amadal, if you'll see where there's a Mishnah, go up a little bit above that. Umadbilin begav legav. We had this strange formulation that seemed to be from back to back or from group to group, right? So the the Mishnah says that one can immerse on the holiday, meaning you can dunk in the mikvah, from one principle to another, from one group to another group. Tanar Rabbanan, the Gemara here continues or comes to explain. Tanar Rabbanan, ketsan megav legav. What does it mean when you say megav legav, from one Principle to another. Harotzel asod gito algav kado, the kado algav gito ose. So the Gemara says as follows: If you want to take your wine press, right, and you're going to take the wine press to purify the vessels, you know, for the sake of this wine press, right? So then you have to purify the pitcher. So that's where you're going to you're going to purify your pitcher, and then. The point, though, your your main point is to be able to function with the, with the wine press. But if you just wanted to purify the pitcher itself, an impure pitcher, um, then you might think that you couldn't do it. It's just for itself. What happens if you go to dunk the impure pitcher and then you change your mind and you say, oh, but I'm going to use it for the wine press. And now you want to dunk the pitcher again so that it can be purified for the sake of the wine press. So the Gemara here says that you can do. And then likewise, if you want to make the pitcher um, an additional purified vessel for the sake of the wine press, you can do that also. Meaning, let's say you originally take your, your pitcher, but you're going to use it for the wine press. You immerse it because you're going to use it for the wine press. Then you say, no, I'm not going to use it for the wine press. Now, it's already been immersed. Can you use it or can you not use it? But what happens is, at least according to this case, is he wants to dunk it again to make sure that he can use it for the wine press, that it hasn't been invalidated, really. Um, now, the second dunking there is not really doing anything in terms of immersing, right? Um, it's not a complete dunking. And the irony here is because it's not a whole new um, transformation from impure to pure, it's not prohibited on the Chag because it's like it's like putting your pitcher into water, Right, as opposed to doing something that is going to change the nature, the the impure status of it, um, which was the whole discussion of whether that's not permitted. Okay, and now we have one last little bit, which is again pulling off of the words from the Mishnah that were a little puzzling. How do you immerse from one group to another? So the language chavura here should remind us of the the groups that would set would be set up to eat the carbon pesach. And here's where the Gemara takes that. So what happens? You're going to eat your carbon Pesach with one group. You dunked, you immersed yourself or your stuff, your, your impure vessels, for the sake of participating in the eating of a particular carbon Pesach with a particular group. Now you change your mind. You don't want to eat with them anymore. You want to eat with a different group. Do you need to dunk again? Right? And the claim is here that you could do that. You can dunk again. But the reason you can dunk again is because it's not necessary. So 
The reason I find this to be, or perhaps an explanation for why I find this to be just so difficult, is why doesn't the Mishnah, and for that matter the Gemara here, say, you don't have to, right? It says, yes, you can do it again. You know, he can go dunk again. But the language isn't, he doesn't have to dunk again. It doesn't count for anything. Why not go swimming? Like, that's not the way it's worded. It's saying, yes, you can do this. And I wonder if it, this isn't the kind of... Um, caution that we see amongst rabbis, maybe more so in our own day than we usually see in the Chazal, where rather than saying to people, you don't need to dunk, lest people think, or you can't do that because there's no need for it on Yuntif, right? They say, no, you can dunk. That allows the dunking on, on Yuntif. It might put somebody at risk of thinking you could dunk regularly on Yuntif, but you can't. But it, but it protects somebody from thinking that you don't have to dunk at all. Right? If they had changed this whole discussion to say, but you don't need to, I wonder how many people would then say, but I don't need to, because I would have needed to dunk on Yantif, I don't need to dunk at all, and thereby go into the Korban Pesach or their Kalim or whatever with impurity. This is all speculation hypothesis on my part, because I'm just puzzled why the Gemara doesn't give us a more direct response to this kind of question. Yeah, I think that's a very good question and, and a good pickup on the DAP itself. It's sort of just like left hanging there. Well, meaning you can do this, go dunk ahead, it doesn't matter. Right, but the whole concept about it is just odd. You know, it's like, yeah, if you want, you can. I, I it, It's so not definitive. It, it, it's, it, it's not a typical answer. That's what I would say. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to the Mishnah here. Um, and this is an interesting Mishnah. I've talked about this before, uh, you know, about this major machloket that we're going to see in Masachat Chagiga, but we sort of have a hint of it here in this Mishnah. So the, the hint of the machloket is within a larger discussion, which is Beit Shammai says, you're allowed to bring a korban shlamim, right, on a festival. Because remember, people were olol regal. They would come up to Yushalayim. And it may be that they wanted to bring additional uh, korban note during that period of time when they were there. So a korban shlamim you're allowed to bring. But you are not allowed to do this process of smicha, which I've mentioned before is sort of the first machloket that we're going to see talked about. It starts with the period of the zugot, uh, which is sort of a pre- Tanaitic, um, uh, a, a pre-Tanaitic period, um, and uh, you know it's five generations worth um, of uh, of uh, you know again we sort of would call them like pre-Tanaim, um, and it really begins uh, you know that period of time is sort of like from Antigonus East Soho, which is the third mission of Perke uh, of Perik Aleph of of Perke Abos. Uh, going all the way to basically Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. That's sort of it. But the last generation of it is Hillel and Shammai. Um, and, you know, that's the period of time that we're talking about there. So um, the major machlokas they have is whether or not you can do this process of smicha, which is basically putting your hand on an animal. And, you know, that sort of symbolically was like that you're sort of transferring yourself. There's some type of transference of the owner or the person bringing the korban onto the animal. So Beit Shammai says you're not allowed to do smicha. The reason for that is, is that it's using an animal in a way that you're not allowed to on Yom Tov. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a rabbinic prohibition. It's not a derisa prohibition. But Beit Hillel says you can bring the shlamim, you can bring olot also, 
Um, and, uh, and you can also do, uh, and you can even do smicha on them. So again, so the machlokas here is over what type of korbanot can you bring on chag. So Beit Shammai is saying you can bring shlamim and you don't do smicha and you also cannot bring olot. Um, and um, that's because also the reason they can't bring the olot is because the olot, the entire thing was burned. And if you're going to do shechita on a chag, if you're going to do everything they have to do with an animal to prepare for a korban, the reason for it is because it's something that you're going to eat. So just to do shechita for an ola, which is not going to be eaten at all, that's why Beit Shammai says you can. And then Beit Hillel disagrees in that you can bring a korban ola, and you can also do smicha. So we'll see another Mishnah later on, which is just about smicha. So it's sort of hidden here in this Mishnah. Then the Gemara goes on. Amar Ula, machloka bishlamim chagiga lismoch. So Ula says this machloket is basically applies only to the shlamim of a chagiga, which is an obligation on the festival with respect to putting your hands on it and to the korban ola, which was the re'iya that you had to bring, right? Which is, you know, the korban re'iya is that the uh, re'iya is literally like to be seen, sort of like you had to be seen, uh, you know, being ola la ragel. Um, and that's and that's what it is. The Beit Shammai Shavris, Beit Shammai holds, and here he quotes this pasuk from Vayikra, chapter twenty-three, verse forty-one. The Chagotem Oto Chag LaHashem, right? You shall observe, right? Or you shall make a Chag. It's a festival to Hashem. Okay, Chagiga In Olat Re'ila. So when it says Chagiga, it's referring specifically to the Shlamim of this Korban Chagiga, right? That that can be sacrificed. Even on uh, on a on a yom tov, olat lo, but the 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 olat that you're not allowed to bring. Ubeit hilos sabri lahashem kol hashem. Beit hilos picks up on this word lahashem and says any sacrifice that's for Hashem, right, is allowed to be brought over the course of a seven day holiday, even on not just on chalamoid, but even on the chag itself. Aval nizarimu nizavod. But then now we're dealing with a different type of korban. Everybody agrees that you are not allowed to bring it on Yom Tov. So they quote another, you know, uh, basically same statement saying the same thing. So then the Gemara is going to bring an objection uh, to Ula and sort of try to figure out exactly what is it that they're disagreeing about. And then the Gemara is going to go on uh, in an interesting way to basically say, once they sort of go through that, what's the specific machlokas about? Um, uh, then it's going to go on to say, can they find a similar machlokas, you know, elsewhere? And then they get into a discussion about the Tanayim disagreeing about whether Nidarim and Nidava Korbanot could be brought on um, Yom Tov. But what I really wanted to point out here, because I keep mentioning it over and over again, is that, you know, here we have that machloket of Beit Shammai and Beit Hello, the very famous machlokas about the smicha. And I think the other thing to point out here is, is that even though I think we all have an understanding that sort of temple-based celebration of these holidays were very korban-centric, right? It was not that you were allowed to sort of bring any korban that you wanted to bring. And so I think the Nedavim and Nedarot conversation that takes place on Amud Bet, which I'm not going to read, inside just for sake of time, you know, gets into this whole question that like, if you pledge that you were going to bring something, how much time do you have to bring it? 
And what's and and the the idea is, is that it obviously works with the regal schedule, with the holiday schedule, right? Is it that it ends with Sukkot? So if you pledge something between Shavuot and Sukkot, you only have until Sukkot to bring it, or is it that you get a full cycle of Chagim in there? There's many different ways of how to calculate that, but I think what's important to pay attention to is that there is a time limit on it. It's not like you could say, I'm giving a pledge to bring a particular Korban, and then you have five years to do it. There is a, a time frame for it. So again, these are the type of dapim that I think just show you how integral the giving of Korbanot were to holiday celebration, which is, you know, unfortunately, totally different than how we celebrate anything today. Uh, so that last point is exactly what I wanted to say. I'm struck afresh of how, with how different the experience must have been of these holidays when so much is revolving around Korbanot. And you say, you know, you can't, the time limit is not indefinite. And on the other hand, I felt like, well, that's a good amount of time. It doesn't have to be just that minute. You've got a few days. Um, which I suppose is all in the, you know, perception of how urgent things must be done. I I think it's a really sharp window into how different the experience must have been. Yeah, very. And 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 what you were really concentrating on, you know, while this was going on. Well, that's our that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber. Uh, for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.